Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Doc Jen. And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and PT pearls to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions. Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in. All right, Jen and I have been so excited to bring this next guest on for you, Justin Michael Williams. He's an amazing friend of both of ours. He is just a beast in the world of meditation and teaching and meditation and just teaching in general. And he's literally just one of the greatest humans and most genuine human beings. I know you guys are going to get chills. We got chills throughout his story, and you're definitely going to want to run away from this podcast and try some of the things that he talks about. So here's a little bit more about Justin. He's an author, a transformational speaker, and top 20 recording artist who has become a pioneering voice for diversity and inclusion and wellness. From growing up with gunshot holes outside of his bedroom window, we're going to hear a little bit more about that story, to sharing the stage with Marianne Williamson and Deepak Chopra, Justin knows well the pain of adversity and the power of healing to overcome. He has since been featured by The Wall Street Journal, Grammy.com, Billboard.com, The Root, The Advocate, Yoga Journal, and more. No big deal. With his groundbreaking book, Stay Woke, and over a decade of teaching experience, Justin's message of hope and empowerment has spread through more than 40 countries around the globe, particularly through his national Stay Woke and Give Back tour, bringing mindfulness to youth in underserved communities. Justin is dedicated to using his voice to serve, to being a beacon of hope for those who are lost, and to make sure all people of all backgrounds have access to the information they need to change their lives. Please, please listen in. I know you guys are going to love this one. All right, Justin, we are so excited to finally have you on the podcast and dive in. Thanks so much for being with us. Super excited to be here, you guys. Thank you. I mean, so really, the place we'd like to start with everybody is just understanding a little bit more of what drives them to do what they do. So where does that driver come from for you? Gosh, I mean... From so many places, but I think there's one story in particular um, that I talk about pretty often in all of my work with my grandmother um, mm. that I had this really pivotal moment with with my grandmother when I was younger that kind of set the trajectory for the path that I'm on now um, that was super powerful. I mean, should I tell the story now? <laughs> yes, please. I want to hear. I'm super curious yeah, now. <laughs> so it, it's it's one of my favorite stories to tell. It's It's truly... Um, a miracle, I say. So, you know, I grew up literally in a home in with gunshot holes on the outside of my house, like literally holes on the outside of the house where like ducking because there were gunshots happening outside was like not abnormal. Like we would just duck and then like get back up and like keep eating, like, you know, like not that big of a deal because I think learning to adapt to that kind of trauma is huge, you know? And when you grow up with any kind of conditioning or trauma, no matter what, how major it is or not, like we learn to adapt. And I think my biggest adaptation in life is one that I think a lot of people listening will relate to is becoming what I call a chronic overachiever. Hmm. Meaning that if I achieve enough, accomplish enough, do enough, succeed enough, then I'll finally be enough. You know, I'll hmm. finally be able to get myself out of this situation or out of this thing. And I think for a lot of kids who grew up in, you know, any kind of marginalized situation or neighborhood, like a big part of our dream is, is not even the dream that we have for like our purpose or our life, but it's like to get out, you know, mm -hmm. like what do I have to do to get out? And, you know, also growing up, you know, gay, but being in the closet, there was just so much, you know, attached to that. And so 
you know, I tell people I checked every single box there was to check on the list on like the overachievers list. I was like the best overachiever. <laughs> it's like the, the, the top of the overachievers list, like got a full ride academic scholarship to go to UCLA. I go wow. to UCLA, I come out of the closet. Like my life looks like this incredible dream that I had always dreamed of. And I had this moment sitting on my dorm room floor where I said, oh my God, my life looks exactly like I've always dreamed of, but I'm still miserable. Wow. Like, why am I not happy? How come I'm not happy? And then this huge moment with my grandmother happened pretty soon after this, where, you know, I got a call from my dad that we were having a family meeting and we found out that my grandmother had stage four cancer. She was 67. The doctor said she only had a few months to live. It was like a huge shock to our entire family. And when this happened, you know, I flew home to the Bay Area to be with my grandmother and I walked in the door. And as soon as I walked in, she literally sat me down and asked me a question that changed the trajectory of my whole life. She just said, if you were in my shoes, and you knew you were going to die in two months, what would you do? Mm. And I'm looking at her like, what? Like, what are you even talking about? You know? And she just said, get quiet, get still, do that meditation thing you're always talking about. <laughs> and, and don't, what she really said is, and don't open your lips until you're going to tell me the truth. That's what she said. <laughs> wow. and, and so I closed my eyes and almost right away, I, you guys, I felt this like well of emotions just like coming roaring out of me. And I just said, I would quit everything I'm doing. I would record an album. I would do music. I would teach. I would stop hiding myself and I would step forward, you know, into the truth of who I am and travel and speak and teach and do all this stuff. And the thing is, you know, I had always wanted to do stuff like that ever since I was a little kid, but I thought based on how I grew up and based on all the kids who teased me at school about being different, about being gay, I made myself think that I had to abandon my real dream for my life and instead go after something that everyone else expected me to do, something more practical, something more realistic. And I think we all have this, you know, like we all have these dreams or these goals for our lives, whether it's about our bodies or our relationships or our money or where we want to live or our, whatever it is. And we stop ourselves because we think, oh, it's not for me. I'm too fat. I'm too old. I should have done it before I had kids. I waited too long. I don't have enough money. And when my grandmother asked me that question, it woke this thing up inside of me that I thought was gone. And you know, now I have the gift of having, you know, years later, it's been nine years almost since she passed away. And, you know, I've put out my first album, which charted in the top 20 of iTunes. I put out my first mm. book. I've like spoken 40 countries around the world and like have this gift of living this life that is the real dream, you know, for my life. And now I just, what I do, you know, I, I, I tell people, it's funny, the other day, my friend came up with this quote that, I, that I'm like a guru disruptor. <laughs> <laughs> because I like am not here to be like somebody's guru or teacher. Like I'm just here. I use music. I use meditation. I use personal growth to help people unlock whatever the hell's holding them back and step into the fullness of who they are. Oh my goodness, Justin. Literally, Dom and I looked at each other and we're like, we have chills. I know. I'm like <laughs> tingling all over my body when you're telling the grandma story. Because first of all, the wisdom of grandmas, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you said a word in there woke and i know on the front of your book it says stay woke 
And yep. so you said it, it woke something up inside of me. And I know that's a message you want to get out to a lot of people. What's that, what's that word mean to you, woke? Yeah, it's an interesting word, right? So woke is one of these words that I think has become like trendy, you know, and almost even a little passe in some ways. But mm-hmm. it's like, um, what's fascinating about this word is people think that woke is a word that started, you know, in the last 10 years and became like a hashtag. But And while part of that is true, the truth about woke is it actually is a word that started in the 1960s. So it's dated back a long time to civil rights era in the East Coast with African-American people telling other people in the community, like, hey, you need to stay woke. Like you need to stay aware of the social injustices and the things that are happening so that you don't get blinded by the system and the things that are happening to us and get pulled into the system that is working against you, you know? And it's fascinating because as my work kind of intersects social justice and mindfulness and well-being, there's this fun play on the words, right? Because we use this word in our, in our kind of conscious community all the time, of like being awakened. And I don't think it's a destination. It's not like, oh, I'm, I'm woke and it's done or I'm awakened and it's over. But it's this constant journey of staying woke, of staying awakened and doing the shadow work that it takes to, to make that happen day in and day out. Totally. And I think what, what's hard too, though, is that someone can listen to your story and say, you had that pivotal moment. You had that moment that now I'm woke. Where, But you just said it also takes this consistent practice of what you're going to do and put in over and over and over again, looking at your shadows, looking at so much more. So then how does someone not just say, well, you're the lucky one? I love the way you phrase that question, Jen, because I know that some people think that, right? And and some people even hear my story and they think, I'm like, oh, and then I put out an album, ta-da! Like, you know what I mean? Like, And if, if, I'm like, it's funny because people would only see, you know, the level of work that you have to do on yourself to overcome your shadow of the critical inner voice in, in your head that is like telling you that you're not good enough and the fears and the imposter syndrome and all of that. It hits all of us. You know, it hits me strong still to this day. And what I tell people is this, it just reminds me of, um, of something that Oprah always says, who is just like, just one of the biggest guides, you know, and mentors to me. And she says, um, your life is always speaking to you. And the fundamental spiritual question that we all get to ask is, will you listen? Mm. You know, will you listen? Because the thing is, is when our life and the way she describes it so beautifully, and we hear this in many different traditions and in personal growth books in its own ways, but in the most simplest form, it's like our life starts trying to tap us, right? And we don't listen. We've all heard this. We don't listen. And then it's like hitting us upside the head with something. And then we don't listen. And then we get a brick upside our head. And then we don't listen. And then the whole brick wall comes falling down. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's when our, we experience these huge crises. And so for me, what I tell people, the reason I even teach meditation or guide people into this inner work is because when you are able to access that voice inside of you, that voice of your higher self, that voice that is whispering at you, then you don't have to get hit upside the head with the brick. You don't have to wait for somebody to die. You don't have to wait to get majorly sick to change your life. You can hear the whispers when they're still barely tapping on you, you know, and that's the biggest gift. 
So, I mean, you mentioned meditation and how we listen into these messages. And I know that's something you teach a ton. So, we want to dive into that quite a bit. Like, what does it mean? I feel like some people say, okay, meditation, you have to do breathing or meditation has to be done this way. I want to hear what, what, how you teach people what meditation is. Yeah, thank you. I'm so glad you asked that because I think, you know, one of the things that I kind of pride myself in in my work a little bit is teaching meditation to people who think they can't meditate. <laughs> that's like my yeah, favorite that's people a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> that's like my favorite because, you know, so many of us hear these ridic- all this ridiculous shit about meditation that is just not true that keeps us from practicing. Like, oh, you have to slow down your mind or get your mind to stop thinking. Good luck with that. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. not going to happen. Or like, you know, you're supposed to be able to be totally relaxed and zen and at peace. No, not consistently, at least, you know, and one of the things that I say to people, it's on the back of my book. It's like one of my favorite quotes. It's just, if you can worry, you can meditate. Mm. If you can worry, you can meditate. And let me explain why. First of all, worrying and meditation function pretty much exactly the same in the brain, but the results of them produce very different things. So when you worry and when you meditate, the same thing is happening. You're coming back to a centering thought over and over and over. And that centering thought is producing some result in your physiology and in your emotional state and in your psychology. It's all coming up, right? And so the big difference here, and I think if people take anything away from me from this podcast today, I would want you to take this. It's that fear and faith, and I'm not talking about religious faith, I'm talking about all kinds of faith, like complete confidence in something, fear and faith are the exact same thing. Exact same thing. Both of them require you to believe in something that you can't see and that hasn't happened yet. Mm. Hmm. Both fear and faith, they're requiring the exact same thing. And so when we choose fear, we're choosing to believe in something that we can't see and that hasn't happened, but that is about our demise is about our possibilities being less likely than our circumstances, is about negativity and worry. When we choose faith, and again, I'm not talking religious faith, but faith is in the belief, then we're choosing possibility. We're choosing hope. We're choosing to believe in a future where our possibilities are bigger than our circumstances. And so when you meditate, what you're getting the option to do every moment is to choose fear or faith. You're getting to choose what your mind comes back to and what your centering intention is so that it's not the media, it's not your circumstances, it's not your trauma, it's not your story, it's what you and your higher self is consciously choosing now to step forward into for the next moment of your life. And every moment we get a chance to begin again. That is such a great way of being able to explain it because I think And a lot of times, like I've heard it, you know, more talking about breath work or stopping and slowing down and taking a couple breaths because you will allow yourself to actually choose. You allow yourself to not just react in that moment. And that's exactly what you're saying about meditation. And you're putting it in such a beautiful way, Justin, like, oh, my goodness, this is I I think that's the first way I've ever heard it that way. But it makes so much sense. (laughs) Yeah, it's that, it's the pause you're talking about. And I think this is the thing why a lot of people feel stuck with meditation is because what most teachers lead with is like the technique, like, oh, it's about your breath or it's about your mind or it's about this. It's about, 
no one cares about this shit. <laughs> they just want to <laughs> feel better, right? We just want to know that we're on purpose. We want to know that we're connected to our passions. And one of the things that I say to people is like meditation really, truly is not about relaxing. Meditation is about becoming more alive. It's about mm. becoming more connected to the truth of who you really are and learning how to access that voice within you. And to do that, we have to be able to take a pause to go inward. And so that's the only reason why I even care about pausing, right? Because it's taking us forward and inward. So when you say becoming more alive, I mean, what does that mean? And how does somebody go about starting this? And how does somebody go, go about starting to establish their own meditative practice? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so I'll give some simple tips. So first of all, I mean, obviously, we have like a short amount of time together here. So I'll share as much, much as I can. But for people who want to Take we need to know everything that way. you know in the next 15 minutes. Go. Yeah, I'm teaching you everything. Masterclass, you know. But for, for people who want to take it further, they, there's my book, Stay Woke. And I also have literally like hundreds of free guided meditations everywhere on Insight Timer, on my website, justinmichaelwilliams.com. Like th there's free shit for everybody everywhere. And so, Amazing. you know, if you want to get access, it's easy to find. And, and so, but what I want to say is this this is the biggest thing about, um, what you just asked me. And it's this, when it's about becoming more alive, becoming more alive, what most people think I'm saying when I say that is only feeling more joy, only feeling more happiness, only mm -hmm. feeling more of the emotions that are sometimes easier to experience. But to be fully alive, and this is really what the definition of mental health is, is being able to paint with the full spectrum of our emotional wheel. So it's not just being able to be happy and joyful, but it's being able to experience the happy and joy and the truth of like sorrow and sadness and loss and regret or grief and power and truth and all of it and not letting one piece of it take you completely down. And so what happens when we meditate, we'll say this first, what happens when we meditate is our window of tolerance for the full range of our emotions expands. And this is not woo-woo stuff, even though I love a little woo. This is like <laughs> scientifically proven, you know, like our, it, there's something called post-traumatic growth. We hear about post-traumatic stress all the time, post-traumatic growth. They're studying it all over the world right now. Mm. And that's basically when something negative or bad or a trauma happens to you, whether it's big or small, how likely are you to grow from it versus getting broken down? Mm. And it's interesting because we see people who go through major traumas in their life. And why is it that some people find meaning and purpose and some people, their lives are derailed forever? And it has to do with post-traumatic growth and your ability to expand your window of tolerance for all the range of our emotions. And so I share all that kind of sciencey stuff for this, this very simple practice is what most of us think we're supposed to do when we meditate is we're supposed to try to feel peaceful. We're supposed to try to feel relaxed. And for most of us, when we do that, what it feels like is like this. Okay, I'm going to sit down and meditate. I'm trying to take a deep breath. I'm supposed to feel relaxed, but really I'm just thinking about food. Oh shit, I'm doing this wrong. Okay, hold on. Let me try to feel peaceful. Let me take a deep breath. Like it's just your mind's going crazy because you, you're not being real. And so what we do instead when we meditate is instead of pushing things down, we let our emotions arise to the surface. It sounds so simple. And if you're feeling sadness, 
if you're feeling anxiety, if you're feeling stress or happiness or joy, you let it come up and you practice sitting with it and practice your window of tolerance. And this is the final piece you have to be careful with when you're doing it. What most of us do when we experience a negative emotion, what we call negative, is we put a narrative on it. So it's like you feel sad. So right away, your brain wants to try to figure out why you're feeling sad. And so you start coming up with all these stories like, oh, my life is a mess. Maybe my relationship, maybe I shouldn't be here. Maybe I should be moving out of LA, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? When just the day before you were like totally happy, you know? <laughs> and so we create narratives. What meditation teaches us to do is just to feel the feeling and let the narrative go so that you can get back to the truth of what you're really experiencing in your life. And this is one of the keys to becoming more alive. That is that is amazing. I love that you talk about all the emotions, you know, and I think that's what we constantly get to be reminded of and given permission to feel. I think yeah. in a lot of areas, like even me, when I was going through an emotional intelligence program, and I remember being on the phone with the coach and and I, I have tears coming to the surface, but I'm trying to push them down. And she's like, what are you feeling? Like, do you need to cry right now? And I didn't want to because I was told that you can't have a conversation with me if I'm crying and that's bad. Yeah. And what she she's like, if you need to cry, please cry, please. This is such a beautiful thing like to allow and to bring to the surface. And so I finally cried and it felt so amazing. And I just remember in that moment, someone giving me permission to experience and feel my emotion. Like yeah. that was it. It was, it was, it was so powerful just to have been given the permission. And that's what you're doing for people really. Well, and that space that was held for you is so important. Cause think about how many of us were told when we were kids, like, okay, stop crying. Otherwise we can't talk. Do you yes. know what I mean? Like, and, and otherwise, you know, we have to be in this perfect emotional state in order to show up for any kind of reasonable conversation. And that's a trauma. That's a little trauma that gets wired in our brains. And I think one of the things that just feels important, you know, it, to close out this section is like, when we push stuff down, again, this is, uh, so you'll, anybody who comes and works with me will learn that I'm like half woo woo, half neuroscience geek. <laughs> so I love science and I also love all the spiritual stuff. And like, what's fascinating is, when we push stuff down, no matter what it is, good stuff or bad stuff, when we push it down, it's going to seep out into our lives in some place that it doesn't belong, right? So you're pushing down your anger, you're pushing down your rage, you're pushing down your sadness, you're pushing down your tears. It's going to manifest in your physical body, in illness. It's going to manifest mm -hmm. in you blowing up at your partner or your kids. It's going to manifest in you overreacting to some shit that really didn't need to be reacted to that dramatically. It's going gonna, it's gonna to manifest in some way. And what the science shows, which is insane to think about, is pushing down the negative emotions or the harder to feel emotions actually puts a limit on your ability to experience and express the positive emotions. So that's pretty nuts. So it's like if I'm pushing down my sadness, it actually limits the amount of joy I can mm. experience because they're all together in this mm. kind of window of tolerance. So it's just as we learn to do that, and it's about becoming more alive, yes, we might experience more sadness, but it doesn't knock us out. And when we do, we can also on the flip side of that experience so much more joy because we've expanded our ability to feel the full breadth of being alive. 
Oh, that is so important. I think that really reflects what you said earlier with the kind of fear or faith dichotomy. You That's know, if, if we're living into that that fear, I mean, they're, they're the same thing. So the more we grow that tolerance, the more we're growing our container itself. And yeah. I, I really liked the first time that we met because I think that we were kind of people who, you know, you keep bringing up the woo-woo stuff versus the science stuff. Like I completely grew up in that science realm. You know, I had a doctor who, a dad who was a doctor and then I went into medical or uh, physical therapy school myself, but I was always very attracted to the woo-woo stuff in a way that a lot of other PTs kind of gave me crap for. And I'm just like, <laughs> no, the woo-woo stuff is when I really feel things and I'm not going to ignore that. <laughs> and yeah. the, the woo-woo stuff is really when I get people in my room to feel things in a way that I haven't been able to, you know, tap into. So I'm not going to ignore that. So I love how you kind of bring the science into what a lot of people call is, quote, woo-woo. So you're talking about building this tolerance. How long do I have to sit and meditate to start building this tolerance? Or, you know, is it a certain amount of dose that I need of meditation to be able to do that for myself? It's a really good question. And in speaking of science, there's actually a new study that, I, gosh, I, I, I don't know if it's published yet, but it's uh, done by Amishi Jaws Lab at the University of Miami. And they actually were doing this because they work with the military. And check this out. The military has fully, in all parts of the military, has fully integrated mindfulness and meditation as a required part of their training and practice. Wow. And class to that. The whole thing. I mean, it's incredible. And But the reason why is because they show that it's not just about helping you relax. It's about helping you focus. It's about helping you be more productive, helping you become more of yourself, of who you fully are able to show up as in whatever circumstance you're in, including something like the military. Now, the reason I'm sharing this is because what the military wanted to know is they said, okay, if we're going to be using time and resources and energy to be getting these soldiers to meditate, we need to know what is the minimum required dosage for mm -hmm. it to work. What's the least amount of time that you can meditate and it can actually make an impact? And the number is going to shock you. 12 minutes. 12 wow. minutes. That's it. That it takes to meditate. And what they found is that meditating for short periods of time, like 12 minutes daily or regularly, has more benefits than trying to meditate for a long time every once in a while. So mm -hmm. it's better to do a 12-minute practice five days a week or four days a week than a 30-minute practice twice a week. And so this is amazing because People will always tell me, this is like the number one excuse that I get from people when they're telling me about meditation. It's like, I don't have time. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, y'all be doing a 12 minute Instagram meditation every morning. So don't play <laughs> me. I already know. Like, you know what I mean? No like, doubt. You have time. So, you know, pull that 12 minutes out of your morning. And instead of checking your phone, you know, check yourself before you check your phone and then you'll be good to go. And do you usually recommend like, especially if someone's just getting started that they're following something like like tuning into one of your meditations that you have online and stuff like that yeah i mean sometimes it's easy obviously it's easier to be guided in an experience um but guided meditations have uh, i'll say like i love guided meditations and i lead a lot of them and i actually practice a lot of them i practiced one this morning but there is one kind of downfall to guided meditations that we have to be careful of and this is exactly why i wrote my book what happens with most people with guided meditations is they get boring after a while. Mm. 
And like, we do it for a few days, we try the Calm app, or we try the Headspace app, or whatever it is. And and then after a week or two, we're like, oops, somehow you just stopped, right? Because you got bored. And the reason is because those practices cannot be the foundation of your meditation practice. Because the real foundation has to be coming from inside of you. And so the reason I wrote my whole book, it was like one of the number one reasons was to teach people how to create their own personal morning daily meditation ritual that is completely unique to them, where the mantra is created by them. I don't tell you anywhere in the book, there's not one moment in the book where I tell somebody, this is what you have to do. I give you kind of like ingredients, like in a kitchen to a recipe. And I tell you, we're going to make your perfect meal. And you may be vegan, so you may not need to use these certain ingredients, or you may be this, so you may want to use these certain things with this dietary restriction, just playing with that metaphor. And I walk people through like they're cooking up their own meditation recipe so that you have a morning ritual or an evening ritual that can help you sustain long-term in your life and that can change as your life changes and evolves. I think that's so valuable in any capacity where somebody, it's kind of the teaching somebody to fish versus giving them the fish. And when you can put something on paper that allows people to teach themselves that process, so valuable. Uh, Another question that I have, because I've heard people say, or I've heard gurus say that, oh, you can't meditate while you're walking, or you have to be laying down, or you can't be doing other activities while you're meditating. That's just mindfully doing something. What do you think about that? I agree, actually, um, to a certain extent. Yeah, to a certain extent. So let me give like the, a, a very clear distinction for people. So first thing is to meditate, you do not have to be sitting still. So that's the part of what you're saying that I, that I like is like a lot of people think you have to sit on the floor like cross-legged, like hella stiff and uncomfortable to meditate. Yeah, like I'm in a, am I in a lotus in the sun or what are we doing no, here? No, <laughs> forget that shit. Like drop <laughs> that completely, you know, because the truth is, is most people, the reason why they can't meditate, it's shocking. People are usually blown away when they make this little adjustment. The reason most people have so much trouble meditating and getting their mind to quote unquote slow down or feel peace is because they're trying to force their bodies to sit in a position that is in complete discomfort. Oh, yeah. Mm. And you guys know this, working with the body. Mm-hmm. If your body's not comfortable, what's your brain going to do the whole time? Be <laughs> on and thinking about it. Move, move, Constantly. move, damn it. <laughs> that system, right, is like so much more primitive than what we think our conscious minds are. And so what I tell people is you can move when you meditate. I kind of sway and pulse a little bit from side to side when I meditate. You can be standing, you can be moving your arms with your breath, you can be lying back, you could be lying down, you could have your back up against the wall, you could be sitting in a chair. The most important thing is that you're comfortable. And if you get uncomfortable at any point in your practice, move. What most of us do is like, let's say we're meditating and like our knee is itching. And then what we say is like, oh my God, I'm meditating. So like, I can't itch my knee. I better just sit here and like try to sit still. (laughs) But the most ridiculous thing about that is what's actually ruining your practice is the fact that you're trying to not scratch, (laughs) you know, instead of just moving. And so if you move, it doesn't ruin your practice. But I do want to want to talk about one element that you um, just said, Dom. So like, the piece about mindfulness and meditation 
there is a difference between mindfulness and meditation. And the reason why it's getting confusing for people is really simple, is because as meditation has been going into organizations and institutions and schools and places that are, you know, places where you don't want to bring religion in, a lot of people have been hesitant to call it meditation because there's this assumption that meditation assumes that there's some religion attached to it. Mm -hmm. So people have just started calling it mindfulness, you know, and even though it's this, you know, they're, they're misusing the word. And the truth is, is that the difference between meditation and mindfulness is this. Mindfulness is the art of practicing awareness and focused or open attention while doing something. And that something can be anything. Like I could be practicing mindfulness while I cook. I could be practicing mindfulness while I eat. I could be practicing mindfulness while I'm, I'm talking to you right now, you know, and really being mindful and having your focused full attention on something while you're doing it. And when you're doing that, it can feel like you get into a meditative state, which is awesome, you know, and it makes us feel really good. And that's when some people say, well, like biking is my meditation or swimming is my meditation or dancing is my meditation because they feel that state of flow. The difference between mindfulness and meditation is while mindfulness is the art of attention and awareness while doing something, meditation is the only thing you're doing is being with you, mm. nothing else. And so we're mindfully bringing all of our awareness and attention right inside of ourselves. Mm. And that's the piece. So meditation like, is something that you do mindfully, which is why it can fall under that umbrella. But if we, if we don't get comfortable, and I know it's hard, so many of us don't have practice at just being alone with ourselves. Yeah, I feel like you know? some people are constantly running away from that, actually. Yeah. And if we do that, you know, if we're, if we're not able to be alone with ourselves, how the hell can we ever know who we really are? Mm. Hmm. Mm. That is how? amazing, Justin. You just, like, you explain things so beautifully. Like, which, I just cannot stop. Which is why <laughs> I think your book is called Meditation for the Rest of Us, because you explain it in a way that the people, kind of like you said at the beginning, who are like, I don't meditate. I can't meditate. Yeah. You, you explain yeah. it in a way that makes it so tangible to that average person who has never even thought about approaching the topic of meditation. Oh, well, you know, I say, I, I think I teach this way, honestly, because like, this is how I had to get into the practice and like get into all of it. Like I, I was not somebody who was, I tried meditating a whole bunch of times. I thought it was so stupid. I couldn't get my mind to stop. I like, you know, was one of these people. I grew up in a super, super religious household. Like I'm confirmed Catholic. I taught catechism. And like when I started meditating, my family thought I joined a cult and like tried to have an intervention, like, you know, and so I've had to work through so much in my own mind around how to make this practice actually fit with our messy, modern, real lives. And so, you know, as I've been teaching all over the world, I just feel like if we could just break it down and keep it simple for people, then we can actually use this practice to come back home to ourselves. Exactly for what it's supposed to, you know, be used for, for the purpose of it. And what I love about how you teach as well is that you come back to this point that we like to talk about all the time, which is there's no one optimal way. It's what, it's what it works for you. 
right? Optimal yeah. means your own self-discovery in doing what works for you, not for me, not one way, but exploring multiple ways. And I love that, again, you're just giving permission for people to step back into themselves. And that is so, so beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Jen. I think, you know, one of the parts of my book that is the most exciting to me, it's like one of my favorite things is I guide people through this process of discovering what's called their unique energy signature. And every single person has a unique energy signature. We all have one. And one of my greatest gifts, you know, and things in the book that I think is kind of like one of my gifts that I'm offering to the world is helping people find out what that energy signature is, learn what's sabotaging them from stopping being able to live into it fully, and then, and then be able to unlock and start accessing that energy signature in their life. And when they do that, using the practice of meditation as a tool, then things open up in our lives that we think are impossible. Like I think back to my grandma, you know, and when I had that moment with her, like the dream that was in front of me, I thought was so impossible for me. It was too big for me to even imagine, you know, growing up how I grew up and being in the environment that I was in. And even though I was at, in college and all of this, like I was studying marketing, like I was in a completely different realm. Mm -hmm. And what I know to be true for certain is that when you step on your path, not the path that is somebody else's, not the path that, like Jen said, people expect from you, your path, then things happen that seem like a miracle. Things happen that seem impossible because it's your path. And so it's right there waiting for you. And that's my whole aim with teaching, with speaking, with my music, with everything, is to help people have the courage to forgive themselves and to step back onto the path. Mm. Well, I am really, really so grateful. One, that my path has allowed me to meet you and allowed you to come on our podcast. And I really, oh. really am hoping and know that a lot of people will find some tools from this. I mean, I've got your book. I'm about uh, halfway to three quarters of the way through part one and still diving in more and more. Seriously, there are so many, like this is an active book. You don't just sit and read this thing. Mm -hmm. You are writing, you are thinking, you are getting emotional. Um, you've brought this up. I would encourage everyone to check this out. Your music, where else can people find out more about the stuff you're doing? Uh, well, first I'll say I'm so grateful our paths have crossed. I'm so, so grateful to to know the two of you and the light that you're spreading in the world is just beyond. It's just so amazing. I look for your posts all the time and just the work that you're doing is so powerful. So thank you for inviting me in to the community and, and for being able to call you guys friends. And, you know, um, I, for people, they always ask, like, how do you find me? I am the easiest person to find. If you just type Justin Michael Williams in anywhere, you'll find me. So just <laughs> go if it's on YouTube or Google or Spotify or Barnes and Nobles or Amazon, whatever it is, you'll, you'll find me. And, um, I have, you know, I know there's a lot of people out there who are having a really hard time financially and stuff right now. And so I have been making it a huge, huge, um, uh, responsibility on my end to make sure that I'm putting out a lot of free content, a lot of accessible content and like scholarships to all of my programs for people who, who might be in need right now. So I'm here for you, you know, and um, just really grateful to be on the journey with everybody. 
And there we have it, yet another amazing guest on the Optimal Body Podcast. So now what we ask of you, if you loved any bit of that or resonated with it, go share it out, share it with a friend, share it on your social media, because you know there are more people out there that would resonate with it just the same. Also, subscribe, rate, review on your favorite podcast app so we know what you want to learn or other guests that you think we should bring on for you in the future. Keep tuning in to find your optimal body.